give him everything on our heart, shall we? Father, we're thankful that we have access. We're thankful that we can come into your presence. We're thankful that we have your undivided attention. We think about the fact that the uh, high priest could only enter into the Holy Holies one day a year, and he was the only one who could enter. But because of what the Lord Jesus has done, we can come into your presence at any time. And that is a remarkable thing. And when we come into your presence, we have your undivided attention. You're aware of every guy. You're aware of our, uh, of our day, of what occurred. Uh, you're aware of uh, the meetings that were planned. You're aware of the meetings that were not planned. You're aware of the uh, surprises that occurred today to us. You're aware of the good news that came our way and the bad news. And some of us perhaps are reeling from something that we heard today that came just right out of left field and uh, has shaken us. And, and we're somewhat anxious even as we sit here tonight. But we are grateful that you are who you are. That you are never surprised, that you are never shocked, that you are never stunned. That's because... You know all things, that's because you run all things, that's because you're absolutely sovereign. Uh, you gave us life, you called us into existence, you have determined the number of our days and appointed the moment of our death, uh, you oversee our lives uh, every second in between conception till death, and then the scriptures tell us that Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. So as we're here tonight and we are dealing with immediate circumstances, some of those circumstances which are positive and others which are negative, we can still relax and we can still be at rest and we can still be at peace because you're larger and bigger than anything we're facing right now. And it is so helpful to remember that. Uh, these circumstances get out of control sometimes, and they start looming large in our lives. But you're the one who is over all things. And when we look at you, we relax, and when we look at you, we calm down, and when we look at you, we have perspective. We are grateful, Lord, that uh, even as we are in battle, that the battle is yours and not ours that you are fighting for us and that you are leading us and that you are ahead of us. And even as you have assigned each one of us to a particular task, none of those tasks are not without consequence. They all count and they all add up and you know where we are and we serve you wherever it is that you have assigned us. We're looking at this great leader, Paul, who is now in your presence as one day we will be. As he walked on this earth and dealt with difficulty, so now we are on the earth and dealing with various kinds of difficulties and hardships and challenges. As you encouraged him, would you encourage us this evening? We pray for our nation. We're concerned about our nation. How blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. <clears throat> we are divided when it comes to that. But you know who belongs to you, and you have put your people in strategic places. We pray for their protection, even as they serve in high places and vulnerable places. Even as Daniel came under attack, they will come under attack. But protect them as you protected Daniel. Give them courage, we pray. Now open our minds. Give us a burst of energy so we can stay focused and hear what you have to say to us tonight from your word, which is not reconstructed or revised to be politically correct. It's just flat-out truth, and it changes our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. We don't pray in any other name, because every other name is deficient and false. We pray in Jesus' name.
Well, you probably have some goals, and you probably have some objectives. And even if you don't put them down on paper, you kind of got a picture in your life of how you'd like your life to look. Um, some guys write their goals down, and, and some guys um, have 90-day goals, six-month goals, that kind of thing. Uh, others of us, we just kind of carry an idea in our minds of how it is that we'd like our lives to look. Now, how would you like your life to look in six months? What could be improved in six months that would make your life better? What could be, in a year's time, what could be added to where you are right now that would make your life better? You got a kind of a mental snapshot of that? You got an idea? In five years, what would it be that would bring... Um, a smile to your face in five years. You think about life five years out. You think about life 10 years out. What would that look like? What would be some of those goals? What would be some of those objectives? Uh, how would that work out in your business? How would that work out with your health? How would that work out in your marriage? <clears throat> what would it look like? When you watch, uh, when you watch football... And as we've said before, if, if you're a godly man, you watch football. Uh, yeah, don't, don't do that anymore. I mean, if you want to raise your hand, raise your hand. But yeah, this guy back here is doing this. So we've, we've already got conflict. We've got a church split in the making right here. It's what? The true church. The true church, the one true church, yeah. All right. All right, you're going to go to your room here in about two minutes. <clears throat> but what we're looking at, if you're looking at football, you're going to see two kinds of commercials, generally speaking. You're going to see bear commercials in, in all of their uh, uh, creative attempts to be totally absurd. You're going to see bear commercials. But then the other thing that you're going to see, um, if you watch football, and you're really going to see it if you watch golf, because these advertisers really have got the demographics down. And you will see uh, advertisements for financial planning when it comes to football. But you'll really see it if you, if you watch golf. Because they got the demographics. They know who plays golf. They know what the income is. Da, 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 da. They got that all figured out. And... Um, Basically, if you're fairly content during the weekend and you're watching football or you're watching golf and you're enjoying life, they'll throw a commercial up there that is designed to make you uh, anxious and uneasy. Because basically what they're going to say to you is they're going to talk to you about your goals and the direction you're heading, and they're going to ask you a question about what your life's going to look like in five years or 10 years or 15 years or 20 years. And, and what it's designed... And, and, uh, Financial planning is, is a good thing to do, but it's a real poor thing to trust in. So uh, you see the commercials for someone who's retired, and they're doing well. And this guy's about 83 years old, and he looks like he's 42. And he's just in incredible shape. And his wife's 79, and she looks like she's 23. Uh, not, neither one of them have ever been sick. They've never had an operation. They've never spent a day in the hospital. Uh, they're in perfect shape. Uh, their kids are doing great. Now, it doesn't say this, but how could they be so happy if their kids weren't doing great? Their kids are doing great. Their kids are making all the decisions they had hoped their kids would make. Their kids are falling right in line. Their kids married well. Their kids are doing well financially. The grandkids are doing great. Everything is perfect. And they've made these investments, and these investments are just rolling. They weren't affected by the crash back in 87. They weren't affected by the dot-com turnaround. Somehow they managed to just smooth it on through. And so basically what they've got is they've got a perfect life. 
Now, how are you doing in life? You were doing fine till the commercial came on. But you're wondering, now, how do I get my life to look like that? You don't get your life to look like that. Although there are times, see, if we ever bothered to put down on paper what we're really looking for, what we're looking for is a life where everything falls into place exactly on schedule. 90 days out, we want it all to fall in place. Six months out, we don't want any disappointment. We don't want any hardship. We don't want any conflict. We don't want any financial setbacks. We don't want any layoffs. We don't want any cancer. A year out, two years, five years, 10, 15, 20. Last night, <clears throat> Mary was looking for a snapshot of our kids when uh, probably 15 years ago. And so she's pulling out the scrapbooks, and she's going to have this enlarged and give it to, to my folks for a present. And... Um, so she's pulling out the, the books, and, and she'd say, hey, remember this one? So I'm looking at this. Suddenly, I'm, I'm back 10, 15, 20 years ago, and I'm looking at these pictures. And you, you've done that, and you just, man, all of a sudden, you know, boom, gosh. Man, look at that. I forgot all about that. And, and, and we had a picture. We were at the state fair or something 15 years ago. And when I'm looking at that, what it suddenly, I remember that day. And the reason I remember that day is that Josh, who's my youngest, everything, we were there, I think, 19 hours or something. Um, got there early, stayed late. The thing I remember about that day is that Josh, everything he wanted basically was 100% sugar. That's what I remember. And, there, you know, there's all the stuff at the fair. That's what Josh wanted. Everything, he wanted the cotton candy. I mean, it's a fair. You know, I mean, you got to have a little fun. you got to lighten up. But everything that was sugar, he wanted. For some reason, I remember that. On the way home, we stopped off to have dinner at the Black Eyed Pea to try to get some kind of nutrition, get some vegetables and all that. We get in there. He doesn't want anything except he wants ice cream. You know, he wants bluebell. He wants the banana pudding. He, what's he want? He wants sugar. That's kind of how we are. We want the sugar. We look at our life, and we have our goals, and we have our objectives, and we'll lay them out, and we'll make these great plans. And when you translate it, we're just like a little kid that's asking for sugar. We want the sugar in different forms, but we want life sweet. We want it to taste good, and we want it to be there in abundance. But that's not quite how it works. We've been seeing this in the life of the Apostle Paul. We're going to look at Paul again tonight. But to set Paul up, if you have your Bible your revisionist Bible, your inclusive Bible. I'd like you to turn with me to Mark chapter 10. In Mark chapter 10, we're going to run into two of the guys, two of the disciples, and they're approaching Jesus. We're in Mark 10, verse 35. And they have uh, something they want to ask of Jesus. <clears throat> Mark 10, 35. James and John, the two sons of Zebedee. So you got brothers here. James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. At least they were honest. These guys should have been evangelists. These guys should have been charismatic evangelists on one of these gospel networks who teach this. You understand, don't you, that there is this teaching that you can say to God exactly what these guys said. Lord, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. It's called prosperity theology. I never want to be sick. I always want to have 
new car, new house, new this, that, uh, I mean, this, this is what's being taught. And there are a lot of people teaching this. So these guys say, Lord, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Now, isn't that what little kids say to their parents in so many words? That's, that's what Josh was saying to me at the state fair. That's what he was saying to me at the Black Eyed Pea. <coughs> See, he, at the Black Eyed Pea, he didn't, want any, uh, he, didn't want any, he didn't want any roast beef. He didn't want any chicken. He didn't want any carrots or any uh, broccoli. He wanted banana pudding. Dad, I want you to do for me whatever I ask you to do. I just want the sure. So that's their request. And Jesus said to them, verse 36, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant that we may sit, one on your right and one on your left, in your glory. In other words, Lord, when you establish your kingdom, we want to have the two seats right next to you. That's all we're asking. All the people in history, they're going to follow you. All the people are going to serve you. All we're asking is that we sit next to your throne. He'll be on the left, I'll be on the right. That's all we're asking. <clears throat> were these guys planners? Yes, they were. You got to give them credit because they planned ahead and they thought ahead. But do you see how they thought? And do you see how they planned? See, there was no room in their life for anything other than sugar. There was no room in their life for anything other than the very best happening on schedule just the way that they foresaw it. Now, you got a little bit of a problem because Jesus says to these guys in the next verse, you do not know what you are asking. Garth Brooks is not necessarily a great theologian, <laughs> but he's written a pretty good song that has a line that says one of God's greatest gifts is unanswered prayers. And if you know the song, if, uh, if you're a Northeast liberal intellectual, you study country music. <laughs> country music's great stuff. You ever read some of the titles or hear this? You know, there's some great, the, the beer that made Milwaukee famous made a loser out of me. You ever heard that song? <laughs> I mean, you know, they, they have some phenomenal wisdom in these songs. Who's this one? Who's this one? What's that song? Uh, um, this guy did Jesus. Um, uh, no, no, Jesus turned. Uh, it, basically, he's saying, Jesus, you turned the water into wine. I need you tonight to turn the wine into water. Guy struggling with alcohol. Here's one. I wouldn't take you to a dog fight, even if I thought you could win. <laughs> It's a country music title. It's out there, guys. Uh, this song Garth Brooks did uh, that has the, the phrase, some of God's greatest gifts are in answer to prayers, he's talking about going back to his high school reunion with his wife. And he meets his heartthrob in high school, the girl that just had his heart that he loved, the girl that he had prayed that he could marry. And it broke his heart because he didn't marry her. But now, 15, 20 years down the line, he looks at his wife and he says, one of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. Boy, he's right about that, isn't he? So these guys say, Lord, we want to sit on your right and your left when you come in your glory. That's all we're asking. He says, you do not know what you are asking. Now, see, we always think we do know what we're asking because we're looking at it uh, with tunnel vision. We're looking at our request with, um, uh, with a very limited perspective. That's why Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That means that his name would be considered holy and honored. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When Jesus was getting ready to go to the cross. 
He prayed that this cup would pass from him, but then he said, but not my will, but, but thine be done. See, we know so little. We have so little information. We have such a limited perspective. We're like a five-year-old at the Texas State Fair. All we see is the cotton candy. All we're looking for is the sugar. All we're after is the bluebell. That's why it's always wise to say, not my will, but thine be done. And Jesus said to these guys, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And, and, and he's speaking down the line. He's speaking of what he is going to have to endure and what he's going to go through as he goes to the cross. He says that to them. Hey, are you guys able to handle this? You're able to drink the cup that I drink? And in verse 39, they say to him, we're able. Oh, yeah, no sweat. We're able. Well, that's kind of funny. Because, you see, they weren't able. See, they thought they could handle it. They didn't even know what they were talking about. They didn't even know what they were asking. They didn't even know what they were getting themselves into. That's proven if you flip over to Mark 14. Mark 14, verse 22, you've got the Lord's Supper. While they were eating, he took some bread. After a blessing, he broke it. You, you, you know this event. And then in verse 26, it says, After singing to him, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, You will all fall away. Because it is written, I will strike down the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, raised what? Raised from the dead. And see, they didn't even get that. After I've been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee, which is what he did. But Peter said to him, even though all may fall away, yet I will not. There you go. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you that this very night, before a rooster crows twice, you yourself will deny me three times. But Peter kept saying insistently, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they were all saying the same thing. So Jesus, are you able to drink the cup? Oh, we're able. Well, no, no sweat. No sweat. So you go to 14. You go down to verse 43, the betrayal and arrest. Judas shows up, betrays Christ. Verse 46, they laid hands on him and seized him. Uh, doesn't say Peter in this gospel, but it was Peter drew his sword, cut off the guy's ear. Jesus said to these guys in 49, every day I was with you in the temple teaching. He says to the authorities, you did not seize me, but this has taken place to fulfill the scriptures. Verse 50, and they all left him and fled. Huh. <clears throat> See, they couldn't handle it. They weren't prepared. They couldn't stand. They didn't know what they were asking. But... They had this view and they had this picture of what they wanted life to look at, look like. Wouldn't it be neat if we could sit on your right and on your left? Wouldn't that be a great thing? Uh, as, as we go through life, we set goals and objectives. And um, I asked you earlier, what would you like your life to look like in a year? What if something could be added, if two or three things could be added to your life that would really make it sweet, what would they be? Or in five years, or 10 years, or 15 years? See, the fact of the matter is, uh, we have an idea, but we really don't know what's best. They thought they did, we think we do. Uh, some of us struggle even tonight because we had a picture in our minds several years back or a number of years back of what our life would look like um, at this age that we find ourselves in right now. Yet our life doesn't look like what we had anticipated. And we find that very, very difficult. Uh, if there's anything that everyone would, uh, would want and if there's anything 
that we are constantly reminded of as being supremely important above all other things, the thing you must have in your life is financial independence. The thing that you must have is financial freedom. If, if, if your life is going to be sweet and your life is going to be the way that you would like for it to be, you're going to have to have a level of financial freedom and financial independence. Uh, and, and the earlier you get it, the better. That's why we see these uh, commercials and ads on retirement. And we see uh, the emphasis on early retirement. The earlier you can retire, the better. That's what we are told. That's what we think. That would be the very, very uh, best thing. It wasn't the best thing for David, was it? The scripture says that in the spring, when kings go out to battle, that David did not go out to battle. David stayed home in Jerusalem. So what was he doing? Well, he had nothing to do. Why? Well, because he'd reached all his financial goals. And if you read the first 10 chapters of... Uh, in fact, turn over there with me. Turn over to um, uh, 2 Samuel. See, in the first 10 chapters of 2 Samuel, David is on a roll. He never loses in battle. He unites the nation. God blesses everything he lays his hand on. He is growing in, in power. He is growing in respect. He is growing financially. And you read 2 Samuel 11. See, he, what he had dreamed of, maybe what he had never dreamed of, happened. He had unified the nation. He was the king. They were, they were just doing so well. They had not been defeated. 2 Samuel 11, 1. Then it happened in the spring at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David stayed at Jerusalem. Why? He took early retirement, apparently. He reached his goals. Uh, he now was able to enjoy a life of leisure. And look what happened to him in the very next verse. Now when evening came, David arose from his bed. What was he doing in bed all day? Did you get that? When evening arose... When evening came, he arose from his bed. So the sucker's in bed all day long. Why is he in bed all day long? Well, he's apparently taken some kind of early retirement. He's reached all of his goals. He's not out leading guys in battle like he's supposed to. No, he's going to live the good life. So evening comes, he gets out of bed, walked around on the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful in appearance. Do you see what too much leisure can do to your life? Too much leisure can ruin your life. Have you thought about this recently? Have you seen this in a, uh, uh, in a prudential commercial? Have you seen this in a, uh, any kind of financial planning commercial? Have you? I've never seen this. Be careful, too much leisure can ruin you spiritually. Well, no, they're, they're not going to. Let me show you another one. Go over to uh, 1 Timothy 6. First Timothy 6, verse 6. Godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment, for we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we, had food and, if we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. If we had food and covering tonight, and that's all we had, we'd be ticked off. Wouldn't we? I mean, I know I would. I would, I would question the goodness of God in my life if all I had was food and covering. Now, who's writing this, by the way? 
Paul says, if we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. Look at verse 9. But those who want to get rich. How many of you guys want to get rich? No, don't. <laughs> we all want to do well, and we want to achieve. We want to take care of our families, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's a good thing. If a man doesn't provide for his own, he's worse than an unbeliever. Um, you ever met a guy who's a sluggard? You ever met a guy who doesn't take care of his family? You ever meet a guy that can't get himself up? The stress and the duress that he puts his family under? That's how we don't want to be. There's a difference between being responsible and working hard and wanting to improve your lot in life. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. But those who want to get rich, when that is the driving, gut-level ambition, in your life, they fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Case in point, David, when everything went his way, and instead of being out there doing what he should have been doing, he's kicking back. Uh, oftentimes in the spiritual world, guys, in our spiritual lives, it's the leisure time that'll get us. Nothing wrong with taking a break. Nothing wrong with taking some time off and enjoying life. But that's not the purpose of life, is to kick back. Someone was telling me about uh, uh, hearing John Piper speak to a big gathering of young people, 10, 15, 20,000 young people. And he began by telling about uh, a missionary couple that were serving in Africa um, in their 70s. And that past week, they were coming down a mountain road. Their brakes gave way, and they went off this mountain road and hit the rocks 800 feet below and were, were killed. And read the article, and people were speaking of the tragedy. Then he pulled out another article that he had read on the plane coming down from Minneapolis about a couple um, who had taken early retirement. He was 43. She's 40. They live in a beautiful home um, in Florida, and they spend their day collecting seashells. And Piper held out that article about the couple in Florida. He says, he says, you want to talk tragic? That's tragic. Collecting seashells all day when you're 43 years old. That missionary couple went to glory. That's not tragic. That's to be celebrated. That's how turned around we are in this culture. They took early. They met all their financial goals. I'm sure they were all trim, and you know their cholesterol level was right where it ought to be. And what do they do with their life? They collect chumpin' seashells all day long. For what? For what? <laughs> See, sometimes the things we think that we need are the worst possible things for us. Now, with that in mind. Is this making any sense at all so far? Amen. To a couple guys it is. <laughs> so let's go to 2 Corinthians. And I, I want to be real clear. There's nothing wrong with making a living. There's nothing wrong with making a good living. There's nothing wrong with working hard and putting deals together and doing what you do and providing and giving to the kingdom. And if you make money, you ought to be given money to the kingdom of God. You know, you, you, put, you invest where moth and rust doth not corrupt. As I learned in Sunday school from the King James Version. It doth not corrupt. Where thieves cannot break in and steal. You lay treasure up in heaven. All right, here's the deal, 2 Corinthians 12. Let 
I want you to see in the life of this great leader, Paul, I want you to see the sugar that's in his life. And you've, if you've been here in this study for 2 Corinthians, you know that that's what Paul had was a sweet life and an easy life. <coughs> a prosperous life. Uh, you know, that's not what Paul had. But, but, you know, I'd ask the question, where is Paul right now? He's in, he's in heaven. He's in the presence of Christ. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. See, all this stuff Paul went through, it's over. It's done. On his radar screen, you look back, it's just, just a blip. And he went through some stuff. But see, there's a day when that's over. And, and, then, and then there's no suffering, and there's no pain, and there's no disappointment, and there are no tears, and there's no heartache. And, and by the way, if you think we're going to retire in heaven and sit in a cloud, you need to go reread your Bible. We're going to rule and reign with Christ. And if you want to read a great book, get Randy Alcorn's book, just titled Heaven. It's about this thick. And you can't put it down. Uh, Randy spent 30 years studying heaven in the scriptures. He's been fascinated with it ever since he came to know Christ in college. I read stuff in that book I had never seen before in the scriptures. Let's go back to Paul. Now here, let me give you the context in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Here's what's going on with Paul. Paul, in the first six verses, tells us that the Lord took him up to heaven and showed him the glories of heaven. Have you ever wondered why Paul withstood everything that he withstood? Um, that's listed in verse 11 that we've been over in chapter 11. All the things he went through. Um, uh, five times from the Jews, 39 lashes. Three times beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Uh, so we've mentioned here Paul probably had urine consistently in his blood. He probably had internal hemorrhaging. Probably had bones that never set right. Uh, his back looked like hamburger from being beaten with rods and from taking 39 lashes all those different occasions. He says he was beaten times without number. And in Paul's day, there were no antibiotics, there was no Excedrin PM, there was no Tylenol, there was no codeine. What kept him going? Well, we said last week, he saw the risen Lord. Truth kept him going. You know what else I think kept him going? The Lord took him to heaven and showed him heaven. Let's read 12, chapter 1. Boasting is necessary, though it's not profitable, but I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. And these really happened. These really happened. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body, I don't know, or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. Such a man was caught up to the third heaven. And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up in the paradise. Now catch this. And heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. Paul could not even talk about what he saw. On behalf of such a man I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast except in regard to my weakness. For if I do wish to boast, I will not be foolish, for I will be speaking the truth. This really happened. But I refrain from this so that no one will credit with me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. Now, you say, well, who, who went to heaven here? Well, catch seven. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself. See, now we know it was him. You know, he's referring, I know a man, whether in the body, you know, he's kind of just coming in the back door, but it was him. He's the one who went to heaven. Now, can I ask you a question? If you went to heaven and saw things and heard inexpressible things which a man is not permitted to speak, and you came back, how would you feel about yourself? I mean, has your pastor been to heaven? No. Your brother-in-law, has he been to heaven? No. For sure not your brother-in-law. <laughs> has your, anybody at work been to heaven? 
Uh, nobody you know has been to heaven. All right, you went to heaven. Why would God choose you to go up to heaven and see the glories that no one else had ever seen before and come back? Why would he choose? You know, you must be pretty special. Do you think you might start viewing yourself in a little bit different light than you had before you went to heaven? I'll guarantee you would. Keep that in mind as we read verse 7. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, but can I insert this? So when Paul was being beaten times without number, I wonder if he didn't recall what he had seen up there. This is momentary. When he was feeling the, the lash cut into his skin and his muscles. I wonder if he wasn't remembering what he saw up there. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me, catch this, from exalting myself. There was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me, once again, he says, to keep me from exalting myself. Huh. The word there for thorn, there was given me a thorn in the flesh. And why was a thorn given to him in the flesh? To keep him from exalting himself. Think about our goals. Think about the way we would like for life to be. Think about the way that we would like for life to look. When life tends to fall in place in every area and everything is going well and our financial plans are together and the marriage is together and all the kids are going great and our health is great and life could not be any better and we've got that dream home and we're building the second home and we're taking the vacations and do you know, quite frankly, most of us can't handle that. As the old hymn says, we are prone to wander. We're prone to leave the God I love. I always remember what was said of Uzziah, the Old Testament king. It was said of Uzziah that he was marvelously helped until he was strong. Is it not true that when we sketch out how we'd like our life to look like in a year or three years or five years, that we're strong in every area? Everything's strong. The finances are what? Strong. The marriage is strong. Relationship with the kids, strong. Everything is strong. We like strong. Okay, he's got this thorn in the flesh. Some of you guys at Pine Cove, you're out there in the retreat, you're out there, and you know, out there by the lake and the hills and the whole thing. You're walking along, get a little piece of gravel in your shoe. It's kind of irritating. You don't ever think about your shoe, you don't ever think about your feet, you don't ever think about your socks. Suddenly you got just a little piece of gravel. And it's only, you know, 100 yards to the dining room. And you don't even walk 100 yards. You stop. What do you do? You take out that irritating piece of gravel. Because it's, inner. it's irritating. It doesn't fit the pattern. It gets in the way of our well-being. When Paul says here that there was given me a thorn in the flesh, uh, it's also the word for stake. It's a sharp, pointed stick. In battle... They would often hide stakes. If they knew an army was coming, they would sharpen the point of these stakes and bury them so that they just barely came out and they'd put leaves over them so that someone would be walking in and they'd step on that sharp pointed stake. To keep me from exalting myself, 
there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Now, I was reading a commentary this morning that gave nine different possibilities for what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. It was a hiccup. It was a hiccup. It, uh, I don't think it was. That wasn't in the commentary. It, it, we don't know what it was. I mean, he doesn't tell us. I will tell you this. Uh, if... If I was voting for anything contextually, I'd vote for some kind of physical thorn. Let's say I'm wrong. Let's say it was something else, okay? Let's say it's something else. Well, he's still dealing with all the broken bones. He's still dealing with the hemorrhaging. He's still dealing with all the physical pain from the beatings and the floggings. So let's say it's not a physical thing. That just came with the territory. Then he's got a thorn in the flesh. Remember when Paul would say a couple times in Corinthians, I'm afflicted on every side? There was given me a thorn, a stake in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Why? Again, to keep me from exalting myself. See, when we get strong we tend to exalt ourselves. Concerning this, concerning what? Concerning the thorn, concerning the stake. And by the way, in Israel, there are bushes, and they're all over Israel. You'll, you'll find them even in the Garden of Gethsemane. There are bushes that have thorns, not thorns we think of with rose bushes, thorns like that. I, I'm telling you, they're that big and bigger. And about like that, those were the thorns, the crown of thorns that they took and wove those things together and pounded them into the forehead of the Lord Jesus. About two inches long. That's what he's talking about here. Concerning this thorn, I implored the Lord three times. He implored. That's a strong word. I beseeched. I asked with everything within me. Because see, <clears throat> See, Paul wasn't weird. Paul's just a normal guy. Paul didn't like pain. You know, you read the history of Christianity, you, you read a lot of weirdness. A lot of weirdness in Christianity. Uh, even today, guys will join uh, uh, orders, they'll join convents, and they never speak. What's that all about? Where do you find that in the Bible? The Roman Catholic Church came up with this idea. If you're going to be a priest, you, you have to be celibate. You can't be married. Where'd they ever get that? That's not in the Bible. You know what Paul said? Paul said, don't I have the right to take along a believing wife as do all the other apostles? Did you know all the apostles were married? Except Paul? So what's this thing about not being married and being in ministry? Oh, that's, that's what you have to do in the Roman Catholic Church. Well... They're wrong on that as well as a whole lot of things. But that's not from the script. Well, that's spiritual. It's not spiritual. It's weird. You're a man, aren't you? Didn't God give you a sex drive? Well, you know what? Scripture says be fruitful and multiply. He gave you, hey, he wants you to have a wife. He wants you to have kids. Now, here and there, he'll give someone a gift of singleness. There's a gift of celibacy Jesus talked about. But it's, that's the exception. It's not the rule. Well, it's more spiritual not to be married. It's more No, it's more weird. <laughs> Unless God's called you to that. That's just flat out weird. You're supposed to get married and have kids. And they got snot coming out of their nose and crud coming out of their diaper. It's great. You don't sleep at night. That's the way it's supposed to be. <laughs> that's the normal Christian life. So you get guys that have sex drives, and you get all those guys together, and those are your... Ministers, you know what you're going to have? You're going to have homosexuality, and you're going to have them picking off little kids, which is precisely what they've got. Because that's not in the scriptures to begin with. That's weird. God isn't weird. Paul was single. God called him to be single. The other guys, he didn't call to be single. Paul doesn't like this thorn. This suffering that happens to us, we're not supposed to like it. 
You're not supposed to live on the higher level. You know what I'm talking, you ever meet these Christians that get super spiritual? They, uh, that's just weird. Thorns hurt. Nobody in their right mind wants a thorn. Nobody wants to be crushed. Nobody wants to be hurt. So Paul says, listen, concerning this, concerning what? The thorn. I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in strength. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my strengths so that the power of Christ may dwell within me. Now, that's not how that reads. It probably reads it in that Tony Campolo Bible, but it doesn't read that here. <laughs> Let's read it the way it was written. He asked the Lord, Lord, would you take this away from me? Not once, not twice, three times. And he, meaning God, has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. The last thing we have when it comes to our 90-day plan, our six-month plan, our one-year plan, our three-year plan, our five-year, our 10-year, our 15-year plan, there's no room anywhere in our plans for weakness. We want strength. We love strength. We're men. We want financial strength. We want physical strength. We want relational strength. We want career strength. We want strength. So what does God do? Here's what God does. God takes strong men. God takes physically strong men. And he makes them weak. God takes strong-willed men who won't yield. And he crushes them so that they will yield. God takes men who are strong in their careers and he stuns them and shocks them by a reversal. And it's part of his plan. My, let's read this. Let's just let it, let's just let him tell us what, what's going on. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell within me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. Now, how can he say this? Now, catch this. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That is so foreign to us, isn't it? But the ways of God are not the ways of man. When we're weak, we think we're finished. When we're weak, we think it's over. When we are weak, we think we have lost our effectiveness. Somehow, some way, God is able to take us when we are weak and when we are without power and that's when the resurrection power flows in and does the work that could never be done in any other way. I mean the greatest example of this is Jesus on the cross and he died and I mean anybody looking at this thing would say, hey, this deal's over. This Christian, this Christianity deal, it's over. That's, hey, well, there he goes, another prophet. That's all over and done with. The Jewish leaders thought they had won. Pilate thought he had won. That's why Ray Steadman used to say that resurrection power always works best in a graveyard. We love resurrection power but we don't like what it takes for resurrection power to be demonstrated.
So what does God do? God takes weak men. Uh, back up. He takes strong men. Okay, follow this, guys. He takes strong men with strong plans for the future, with strong goals, with strong objectives. And then what he does is he interrupts their lives and he interrupts their plans. And he makes them weak. And they think they're done and they think they're finished and they think they'll never be used. And then he does something that you could never, ever, ever imagine. And you can sit around and you can say, yeah, but you don't know my circumstances. And I can't, but see, Steve, if you don't know my circumstances, you see, I can't see any way. That's exactly right. You can't. You just flat out can't see any way that God could do that. Well, see, that's just tailor-made for him. That's what he loves to do. That's what he's in the business of doing. I love that passage in Ephesians where Paul says, Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond anything we could ever ask or think. Go back to your plan. Go back to your goals. Go back to how you'd like to see it. You know what? God's got something that's so much better than the best you can come up with, it would absolutely blow you away. Now to him who's able to do exceeding abundantly beyond anything we could ever ask or think. I remember at the age of 39 when my plans were absolutely blown out of the water. Everything I'd been working towards ministry-wise in a weekend went up in smoke. And I had this idea, and I had this plan, and I had this deal for establishing a ministry, and I'm telling you what, it was knock them dead out of the park. And then he knocked me out of the park. I have guys ask me, how do you, how'd you ever get into men's ministry? How do, you, how do you go out 35 times a year? Do you call these church? I don't call. They call me. You know, that blows me away. All they have to do is stop calling, and I'm an Amway. <laughs> you know what I'm talking? I mean, that's all that has to happen. <clears throat> but for 15 years, they call, and I go, I, I, I do this men's thing. You know, when I was 39, that had never crossed my mind. I had this other plan. Man, it's going to be this and this and this, and we're going to live here, and it's going to look like this. And that. I had it. I, I've, got, I've got the seven-year strategic plan laminated in my closet at home. I can show it to you. And when it blew up, I was devastated. Devastated. And I remember a few months later when I'm trying to come to the surface and get some air because I was, I mean I, I mean, I was stunned and I was broken. And I remember the first time Mary said to me, because I, I was working on this book for men, but nobody wrote books to men because publishers said, we don't publish books to men because men don't buy books. That's what they told me. They, they really wouldn't do it. But I'm but this... Anyway, I'm doing this book. And I remember when Mary said, I remember the first time she said to me, she said, you know, Steve, you ought to focus exclusively on men. And I remember, I said, there's no way I'm doing that. That's too narrow. Nobody does that. I have to have a broader scope. I have to have a broader. He said, well, just think about it. I'm not, I said, okay. And there was no way I was thinking about it. <laughs> so what have I spent the next 15 years doing? Eye has not seen, nor ear has heard, what God has prepared for those that love him. You're frustrated because your plans aren't quite going the way you thought they were going to go? 
Can I, can I suggest something to you? Just yield. Just surrender. You still got a thorn? Say, okay, Lord, I'm going with you. Thorn or no thorn, I'm following you. You're running this show. I'm going to trust you. I'll see you in heaven. Let's pray. Thanks, Lord, you got it wired. It's sure not, for a lot of us in here, it's sure not how we would have done it. Because we're not at the good part yet. We're still in the thorn part. We're still in the weakness part. We're still in the disappointment part. But I pray for those who are there that you would enable them to trust in God who raises the dead. Help them to live off the promises this week. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.